This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to a rare Christmas Eve edition of Radio Parallax. Every seven years on the average, this show does fall on Christmas and New Year's Eve, which is the case this year. I'd like to take the time to thank all the people who are working hard during the interim, the time period between the quarters, wherein students have flown the coop from Davis as a general rule, and yet the radio station must soldier on. This means that a lot of folks are working very hard, 24-7, to keep content before you. We applaud everyone for their efforts, including the person who's running this show for us today. Being that it is Christmas Eve, we intend to keep things very light tonight. In fact, since this is a best of Radio Parallax this entire quarter, we will continue in that tradition by all comedy in segments two and three. These are some of the classic comedy bits, which Mr. Merlin and I are very fond of. I even go so far as to say that if you don't find some stuff that's pretty darn funny during today's show, you need a vacation. And possibly some Prozac. Or perhaps Fireball Whiskey, as the case may be. We want to take an additional moment to thank the good people here at KDVS. They've been very supportive of this program over the years. And I think it can be said, continue to bring you on a weekly basis some pretty fine programming. I was reminded of this this very week when I was tuned into Democracy Now! Amy Goodman was interviewing Seymour Hirsch about his recent article on what's going on in Syria. We'll hopefully have more to say about this on next week's program. We're tempted to come down on the side of Seymour Hirsch because a lot of what he says in this article is what we have inferred, just on general principles. On the other hand, Mr. Hirsch seems to be relying on one source alone, somebody knowledgeable about what's going on in the Pentagon and with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he's adopting a very pro-Joint Chiefs stance versus the administration, which is a little screwy. Peter Dale Scott noted on Facebook that these goings-on in Syria represent quite a change from what was going on 50 years ago when we had a president at odds with his administration. He's referring in this case to JFK, which is appropriate because Seymour Hersh has written a fairly anti-JFK book in recent years, relying upon sources in the intelligence community. Nevertheless, it was a great pleasure to have stumbled upon this article, read it this morning, and then an hour or two later, hear Amy Goodman going over the article with Seymour Hersh. We remind you that on a weekly basis, Democracy Now! is heard on this station every weekday at noon. We also want to uh, compliment the people at the Planetary Society. Their radio program, Planetary Radio, is heard on a weekly basis here at KDVS. We've been privileged to have had uh, Bruce Betts of the organization speak with us on several occasions, and we've spoken with Matt Kaplan, who produces the radio program, Planetary Radio. As we look back on one of the triumphs of 2015, it was Discover Magazine's number one science story of the year, the flyby of Pluto. We would note that if it were not for the Planetary Society's tirelessly lobbying Congress and going directly to the public to raise funds and drum up support, that mission would never have happened. Therefore, we salute, once again, the Planetary Society. We've only got about 12 minutes to work with in our first segment today, so we're going to uh, maybe have to cut a few things. For example, on our This Day in History, we're only going to cite one item, which was that on December 24th, in the year 1818, 
Silent Night was sung for the first time. That was during a midnight mass at the Church of St. Nicholas at Oberndorf, Austria. Franz Gruber of Oberndorf composed the music with words written by Joseph Moore. There might be one or two Christmas songs that it is equal, but it's pretty good. And no, Miss Ruelan, the Barking Dogs version of Jingle Bells is not one of the contenders. Our quote of the day comes from the ever more megalomaniacal Donald Trump, who on last Sunday's ABC's This Week defended Russian President Vladimir Putin. Said Trump, nobody's proven he's killed anyone, and he's always denied it. You're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, at least in our country. It's not been proven that he killed reporters. Ms. Whelan wonders where Trump comes down on the O.J. Simpson innocence question. Our quip of the day comes from KDVS's very own Dr. Andy Jones, who noted on Facebook, I don't know why reporters are worrying about Trump, for he promises that he won't kill them. Dr. Andy then posted a piece from businessinsider.com with, well, the headline speaks for itself. Donald Trump on reporters. I would never kill them, but I do hate them. All right, let's do a quick joke of the week. How about one from Rodney Dangerfield? I was making love to this girl and she started crying. I said, are you going to hate yourself in the morning? She said, no, I hate myself now. And speaking of Vladimir Putin and Republican candidates, our anecdote of the week concerns Carly Fiorina, who assured the public in her most recent debate that she knows Vladimir Putin. Now, it turns out the record will show that Ms. Fiorina met Mr. Putin for 45 minutes 14 years ago. All right, for a good news item of the week, we would cite the fact that in Davis, they're moving to let teens sleep later before school. Yes, the Davis Joint Unified School District has joined a growing list of districts nationwide instituting later morning start times. Doesn't sound like a bad idea to us. All right, for a few quick stats of the week, we're going to go to the Harper's Index. Here's a pair for you. Confirmed number of Americans aged 112 or older. 10. Number that age listed as alive on Social Security rolls. 4,700,000. We think someone needs to look into that. How about percentage of the world's cigarettes consumed by China? 44. Here's one to think about when you're contemplating your next vacation. Factor by which Americans are more likely to be killed by a cow than a shark. That would be 27 times. And you know, it's a little bit out of sequence, but let's take a moment and go to America's foremost political comic to see what he's got to say about Christmas. Hey guys. Will Durst here to say it's the most wonderful time of the year. And what makes it wonderful is we each have our own individual holiday traditions. Mine involve lots of eggnog and cookies. And after a little investigative reportage, we here at Dursko have discovered some of the traditions certain presidential candidates plan on upholding this year. Ben Carson plans to hand out belts that are two sizes too small to the homeless to encourage them to diet. Carly Fiorina will watch It's a Wonderful Life and root for Mr. Potter. Rick Santorum continues his annual dangle the stuffed Santa legs up the chimney and let the kids shoot at him with shotguns to stress the importance of their Second Amendment rights. 
Once again, Bernie Sanders will hire a team of Inuit caterers to roast a reindeer, which he then refuses to eat. Donald Trump likes to dress up as Santa Claus and go around New York City throwing pieces of coal at poor people. Hillary Clinton annually commissions a local artist to create industrial-strength tinsel that in a pinch could be used to strangle members of the vast right-wing conspiracy, or a husband. Marco Rubio will travel back to his parents' homeland of Cuba and try to dig up dirt on Ted Cruz's father. Ted Cruz will travel back to his father's homeland of Cuba and try to dig up dirt on Marco Rubio's family. Jeb Bush plans to plaster a phony smile on his face and suffer through another family dinner where his father and brother tell fascinating stories about being commander-in-chief again. Chris Christie will feast on low-calorie Weight Watchers turkey dinners, 19 of them. Mike Huckabee has organized a tour and will dress up as a vengeful god to scream religious holiday carols outside the entrances of Planned Parenthood. God bless us, everyone. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. All right, instead of going to the good, the bad, and the ugly, which I think we'll save for next week's program, maybe double up on it, instead I'm going to take something from the only blog, which we regularly quote from on this program. That would be Mark Evanier's News From Me. We first encountered this website when reading up on uh, what he had to say about Mort Saul's 80th birthday party, and we have quoted him on a semi-regular basis ever since. My Christmas Story, a News From Me encore. This was originally published some years back in the wake of the passing of the great Mel Torme. Said Mark Evanier, this is the most popular thing I've ever posted on this web blog. In fact, it's so popular that proprietors of other sites have thought nothing of just copying the whole thing and posting it on their pages, often with no mention of me and the implication that they are the I in this tale. Please don't do that to me or anyone. By all means, post a link to it, but don't just appropriate it, and especially don't let people think it's your work. This is the season for giving not taking. And yes, it's true, and I was very happy to learn from two of Mel Torme's kids that their father had happily told them of the incident. Hearing that was my Christmas present. The scene is Farmer's Market, the famed tourist mecca of Los Angeles. It's located but yards from the facility they call CBS Television City in Hollywood, which of course is not in Hollywood, but at least it's very close. Farmer's Market is a quaint collection of bungalow stores, produce stalls, and little stands where one can buy darn near anything edible one wishes to devour. You buy your pizza slice or sandwich or Chinese food or whatever, then carry on a tray to an open-air table for consumption. During the summer or on weekends, the place is full of families and tourists. But this was a winter weekday not long before Christmas, and the crowd was mostly older folk dawdling over coffee in a Danish. For most of them, it's a good place to get a donut or a taco to sit and read the paper. For me, it's a good place to get out of the house and grab something to eat. I arrived, headed for my favorite barbecue stand, and en route noticed that Mel Torme was sitting at one of the tables. Mel Torme, my favorite singer. Just sitting there, sipping a cup of coffee, munching on an English muffin, reading the New York Times. Mel Torme. I had never met Mel Torme. Alas, I still haven't, and now... I never will. He looked like he was engrossed in the paper that day, so I didn't stop and say, excuse me, I just wanted to tell you how much I've enjoyed all your records. 
I wish I had. Instead, I continued over to the barbecue place, got myself a chicken sandwich, and settled down at a table to consume it. I was about halfway through when four Christmas carols strolled by singing Let It Snow a cappella. They were young adults with strong, fine voices, and they were all clad in splendid Victorian garb. The market had hired them, I assume, to stroll about and sing for the diners. A little touch of the holidays. Let It Snow concluded not far from me to polite applause from all with an earshot. I waved the leader of the chorale over and directed his attention to Mr. Torme, seated about 20 yards away. That's Mel Torme down there. Do you know who he is? The singer was about 25, so it didn't horrify me that he said, no. I asked, do you know the Christmas song? Again, a no. I said, that's the one that starts chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Oh yes, the caroler chirped. Is that what it's called, the Christmas song? That's the name, I explained, and that man wrote it. The singer thanked me, returned to his group for a brief huddle, and then they strolled down toward Mel Torme. I ditched the rest of my sandwich and followed a few steps behind. As they reached their quarry, they began singing Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire directly to him. A big smile formed on Mel Torme's face, and it wasn't the only one around. Most of those sitting at nearby tables knew who he was, and many seemed aware of the significance of singing that song to him. For those who didn't, there was a sudden flurry of whispers. That's Mel Torme. He wrote that. As the choir reached the last chorus or two of the song, Mel got to his feet and made a little gesture that meant, let me sing one chorus solo. The carolers, all st- still apparently unaware that they were in the presence of one of the world's great singers, looked a bit uncomfortable. I bet at least a couple of them were thinking, oh no, the little fat guy wants to sing. But they stopped, and the little fat guy started to sing. And of course, out came this beautiful, melodic, perfectly on pitch voice. The look on the face of the singer I'd briefed was amazed at first, then properly impressed. On Mr. Torme's signal, they all joined in on the final lines. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. Big smiles all around. And not just from them. I looked at all the tables surrounding the impromptu performance. I saw huge grins of delight, which segued as the song ended into a huge burst of applause. The whole tune only lasted about two minutes, but I doubt anyone who was there will ever forget it. I've witnessed a number of thrilling, quote, showbiz, unquote, moments. Those incidents, few and far between, where all the little hairs on your epidermis snap to attention and tingle with joy. Usually, these occur on a screen or stage. I hadn't expected to experience one next to a falafel stand, but I did. Torme thanked the harmonizers for the serenade, and one of the women said, You really wrote that? He nodded. A wonderful songwriter named Bob Wells and I wrote that, and get this, we did it on the hottest day of the year in July. It was a way to cool down. Then, the gent I'd briefed said, You know, you're not a bad singer. He actually said that to Mel Torme. Mel chuckled. He realized that these four young folk haven't the velvet foggiest notion who he was, above and beyond the fact that he'd worked on that classic carol. Well, he said, I've actually made a few records in my day. Really, the other man said, how many? Torme smiled and said, 90. I probably own about half of them on vinyl and or CD. For some reason, they sound better on vinyl. My favorite was the album he made with Buddy Rich. Go ahead, find me a better parlay of singer and drummer. I'll wait. 
Today, as I'm reading the obits, I'm reminded of that moment, and I'm impressed to remember that Mel Torme was also an accomplished author and actor. Mostly, though, I'm recalling that pre-Christmas afternoon. I love people who do something so well, you can't conceive of it being done better. Doesn't even have to be something important. Singing, dancing, plate spinning, mooning your neighbor's cat, whatever. There's a certain beauty to doing almost anything to perfection. Now, no recording exists of that chorus that Mel Torme sang for the other diners at the farmer's market. But if you never believe another word I write, trust me on this. It was perfect. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up All right, I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. In our second and third segments today, we're going to do some memorable comedy bits. And we're going to provide this treat for you whether you've been naughty or nice. Help to make the season bright Tiny little tots With their eyes all aglow Find it hard to sleep tonight. 